welcome everybody to episode 86 of the Metabolist 2 podcast, coming to you live from the smoke-ravaged hellhole that is <laughs> the northwest of the United States. Everything is on fire. Everything is burning. Everything's burning. Everything's on fire. It's like the planet of fire, only less good. <laughs> no Perry. No Perry, um, no no master. What other? It's like Inferno. Is what it's it, like. Yeah, it is. It's like the end yeah. of Inferno. It's all smoke. The the yep. air is all full of haze. The sun and ash. Sun yeah. is yeah, red. It's all, it's all like Miralon and kind of wobbly. Exactly. Yes. yes. It is. It is Inferno. distorted. Yeah. It is the end times here in our yeah yeah parallel Earth. David has become evil and is wearing an eye patch. And I've shaved my beard. Shaved his beard off, exactly. I have also become evil. <laughs> also become evil, but I'm just wearing a different kind of beret. So that's yeah. exactly. And we are ruled by an insane tyrant in a fascist, proto-fascist we state. We are ruled by an insane, insane, an insane tyrant with, with, with funny-looking yeah, so hair. Exactly. It is yeah. Very analogous. So Inferno. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of politics there. Yeah, exactly. And so speaking, <laughs> speaking of primordial... Ooze. Um, ooze. <laughs> and creatures from beyond beyond the beginning of time. I think this week we were we were just gonna do a bit of a time machine thing ourselves. Yeah. And um you know, we were just gonna talk about something that we that we really like, which is the Silurians, aka the cave monsters. But we are gonna go since it is a time travel show, we are gonna it go in reverse show. order. So we're gonna Ooh. start with the bad and the ugly and wind up on the good. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going so we're going to start with a new suit. Well, I mean this is it's it's totally relevant because of course the you know the Silurians were written by Chibnall primarily, mm-hmm. I think, and uh, uh he's going to be the new showrunner. Right. And um I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. talking a little bit about Silurians might kind of help us again kind of glean what's what's in store. Mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting. We have touched on this when we talked about Chibnall a while back. Yeah. But I've been doing a little bit of uh meandering a little bit of research and one of the the things i stumbled across was in doctor who confidential episode eight from what must have been series five is when the silurians debuted and they had what millennium effects first take it was a a, a sculpture of a silurian um, Mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. uh, jordu shell which was a modern take of kind of the classic 1970s Silurian. And let me just say, I've actually seen these before, um, but let me just say, they are it's it's absolutely fabulous. It it definitely evokes the yeah. spirit of the original 1970 design. And it also it's it, it it gives a nice nod to the rather less successful but still slightly loved um, 1980s design as mm-hmm. well. It's a it's a really 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 excellent piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find that on Instagram, right? I see here. Yeah, he, uh, uh, Jordu Shell has a Shell Sculptor Studio, and he has several pictures up, and I'll link it in our Twitter feed and show notes and whatnot of the what the Silurians could have looked like if uh, Stephen Moffat and the production team wanted to go in the original design. Yeah, well, I am. I'm just. I'm going straight to Jordu Shell right now, and I'm following him, and. Um, Wow, he's 140,000 followers on on Instagram. He's a he's a he's, he's a, a legend. 
<laughs> he's doing well. I don't feel so bad for him now that his Siluron design didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so would, uh, do, do, do we know, was he commissioned to do this? This was a kind of a think piece? Well, I think he was. He must have been. I mean, he's, okay. he's a movie legend. Uh, uh, you know, this what? This was 20, 2010 was uh, Series 5, I believe. So, I mean, okay. it was... Almost a decade ago. So. Almost a decade ago, yeah. yeah so, right. But uh, I, the other bit, I've been um, reading Shannon Patrick Sullivan's uh, Doctor Who, A Brief History of Time Travel notes that he takes, you know, kind of gleaning from Doctor Who magazine and other sources of the production history. Right. And where they wanted to go is Moffat explicitly wanted them to lose the Silurian's third eye. And the reason why uh, Stephen Moffat wanted to do that is he thought the third eye was too associated with Davros. And so he wanted to come up with something different. And so as kind of a replacement for the third eye, uh, Chibnall came up with that whip tongue that they employed in the Hungry Earth, which really was kind of dropped when we looked looked at Silurians late even in even in cold blood or with the adventures of Madame Vastra and the Paternoster game. Yeah, I mean yeah, it happened once and then they used it for kind of a dirty joke in um Madame Vastra yeah. thing. And then I guess, you know, like the the swiveling Dalek midsection, um <laughs> it's a cool and awesome idea, but way too expensive to do on a regular basis. Right. So we just have to imagine that it can happen from time to time. So do you th- that, that that's I mean that's really interesting. I mean my immediate sorry, the, the, my immediate reaction to that is of course, well, you know, far be it for me to disagree with, with Stephen Moffat, <laughs> but Davros doesn't have three eyes. He has one eye. Right. Um, he's blind well. because he was <laughs> crippled in a in a laboratory <laughs> explosion and he built himself a one eye, um, which is in the middle of his forehead. And I think as we've described before, that's why the Daleks look like the way that they do. That's why the Daleks mm-hmm. only have one eye in the middle of their foreheads, because the Daleks are explicitly modeled um, by their, by the their creator, creator mm-hmm. on their creator and also vice versa. Their creator in terms of the TV show is explicitly modeled on the Daleks. But, you know, from Moffat's perspective, Moffat in the... Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, opened up Davros's eyes and made him being able to see. So maybe, you know, this is... Don't like that. This is one of (laughs) the uh, things that Moffat, I think, does or has did when he was showrunner. And if you think back to Series 5, I'm wondering if the Silurian redesign is another Moffat misstep in the similar vein of the new paradigm Daleks, which were also part of series five, two in 2010, where Moffat was trying to remake a classic monster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we all know, the new paradigm Daleks were abject. The Teletubby wheelie bin Daleks um, were an abject failure that we've kind of swept under the carpet Mm -hmm. um, and agreed never to talk of again. Um, hmm. So, I mean, I think a few things. I mean, I think the, the first is obviously the third eye, it's a very 70s concept, you know, it's a, you know, that the third eye, the right. eye that you kind of, you know, aligns your chakras it's or whatever, you know. Age of it's Aquarius very, type thing. Yeah, it's a very Barry Letts, even though he wasn't involved at that point. Or was he? No, no he, 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 yes, he, was. he had taken over the production role. He So he did yeah. wasn't involved in the commissioning. I think uh, Dix was the commissioner, story commissioner for that, but he definitely was producer with the Silurians. Yeah, so it's a very Barry Letts. Yeah. I mean, that's why we have Doctor Who in the title, 
because uh, let's didn't know the tradition. Doctor Who and the Salarians. So it's it, you know it's a it's a, it's a dated concept. Mm-hmm. However, it's also an incredibly cool concept. I mean, the prince has allegedly had a third eye. You know, he has those those sunglasses with the with the third eye at the top of them. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a it's. <laughs> it's a super cool concept, right? And you know, I, I know we're going, I know we're going backwards in time rather than forward in time, and we'll talk about how the third eye is used. But you know, it's it's incredibly cool. I think it's a shame that it's lost mm-hmm. um, a lot of, uh, to me, a lot of the redesign of the of the Silurians or the reimagining of the Silurians um, was to do with actors, right? Um, yes. And, uh, you know, I I always take my cue from you know obviously who's my you know my Doctor Who hero, which is John Pertwee, who I think is on record of saying you know he much preferred you know the kind of half masks that John Friedlander would come up with, like the Draconians, mm-hmm. because you could see the actor's face and you could react to their acting. It's very hard to act against you know a rubber monster. Right. Actors like to show their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them don't. There are very weird actors like. Um, <laughs> What's his name who plays Davros in the new series? What's he called? Uh, Julian Bleach. Yeah. Julian Bleach. You know, Julian Bleach obviously adores putting on masks. Um, it's obviously one of his things. But in general, you know, actors are in are in the business because they're vain and they like to be looked at um, and they like to be regarded. Um, so they don't like to wear masks. Mm-hmm. And and I and I'm pretty certain, you know, that everyone was sitting around and going like, oh, well, it's just a. It's a well, Okay, here's another thing. Maybe people were thinking about this Levine, and you know what a right. In some ways, what a uh, a variety of failure those were, and those were you know traditional Doctor Who monster, full rubber, um, uh, full rubber monster. Mm -hmm. And I think okay, maybe we can do this with makeup so that the actors can use their faces, people can they can respond to each other, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, you know we won't run into kind of Levine style, uh, you know giggling from the back right. of the room in that it's someone wearing a rubber suit. Mm-hmm. Well, they did touch on that in the in the confidential too that, that they wanted to have more expression, they wanted more individuality, the quirks of each actor come through with the Silurian makeup. So they have this um the prosthetic a helmet for the back of the lizard head with the with the frills and stuff, and then they yeah. have a, a makeup appliance that is affixed to the face that you know, and then that's blended in with makeup to hide the seams. So they are wearing a prosthetic and appliance. What they use it like for old age makeup and stuff to add more yeah, wrinkly yeah, face yeah, yeah. and stuff. But then yeah. in this case, they you know li- lizard lizard uh, reptile uh, scales and stuff. So reptile face, yeah. The irony with that is that they wanted more uh, of the actor to come through, but then in the entire use of Silurians in the new series, <laughs> there's only been three different actors to play it. <laughs> three actors, exactly. Uh, Neve McIntosh has played uh, Elea and Restek and then Madame Vastra, and then Stephen Moore, which is... Uh, <laughs> Kind of a waste to Stephen Moore to put him in a lizard mask, but uh, that is true. Uh, he played uh, Eldrain, and then uh, Richard Hope uh, played uh, the the scientist uh, Malachek, and then in uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, he made that one Silurian cameo as Blaytel. So they wanted to have a, a variety of actors with expressions and stuff, but they hid all the Silurians behind those uh, very fixed metal masks in Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. And then they only have one actress and one other actor 
playing the Silurians for the entire right, Moffat range. So, you know, again, if we just extend the argument, they could have put them all in, like, s- awesome Jordu, what's-his-name, you know, Shell. rubber masks, yeah. and it would have been exactly the same, um, because the majority of the Silurians in that two-parter are in these sort of ridiculous <laughs> face masks, right. which are neither... I mean, they don't really... Con- I mean, they're obviously... And they're not supposed to be actual faces because we know the faces that the Silurians right. have, but they have a kind of a weird quasi-face appearance to mm-hmm. them. Um, I would have preferred some kind of, you know, militaristic, you know, kind of, I don't know, faction paradox, uh, Sycorax-style kind of bone mask or something mm-hmm. I think would have been mm-hmm. awesome um, as a kind of, you know, what the Silurians' faces, what, you know, their kind of military-style kind of Blake Seven, you know, Federation Trooper mask should have looked like. Mm. But instead, they have these weird kind of silver kind of grimacing bike helmet mm-hmm. things on, which really don't work at all. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're completely right. I mean, they've tried to do something clever, and they end up with basically exactly what they were trying to avoid in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think the story would have worked better if they had gone with the classic Silurian design, yep, yep, you, you change not a single line, and you have the same, same you beats. You can't rewrite history. Not not one single line. Um, no, yeah, I, I think I, I, well, okay, it would have gone, would have gone better for me. Certainly, <laughs> um, you know, the little kind of tennis skirts that all the Silurians wear. I mean, <laughs> their costumes are sort of ridiculous. The idea that they're a kind of male and female. Silurians is great because, of course, you know, they are, they are, they're animals right. and they reproduce um, in a sexual manner. However, and I've said this before, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty certain last time I checked reptiles, they didn't have mammary glands. Because mm-hmm. mammary glands, as the name implies, really only apply to mammals, um, which reptiles are definitely not. So how the lady Silurians are kind of curvy and breasty it just makes it look like some kind of weird 1950s kind of B movie. Mm. And they had those, they had those strange, you know, kind of Mars attack style weapons. Um, Which were supposed to be kind of echoing the sea devils weapons, but not in, but wrongly because (laughs) the awesome thing about the sea devils weapons is that they're not like a weapon at all. I mean, it's, it's as if the sea devil is holding up a plate true to you yeah um which looks awesome because they're like wow that that's that's something that doesn't look like a weapon at all these are just kind of you know guns with a kind of megaphone thing at the end they they kind of look like ear trumpets yeah yeah or maybe kind of you know weaponized dalek plungers of some kind so it just you know i I, i'll have to look it up i don't know who's doing the costume design but it kind of failed. You know, they got these, again, these kind of uh, crawl-style kind of metallic yeah, tunics. Yeah. These kind of little kind of tennis skirts, which, you know, why? And then these kind of ridiculous goth biker helmets on. And these, and then these kind of, as I said, Mars Attack-style guns. Mm-hmm. Looks silly. It really looks silly. And it, it kind of takes away from the grandeur and the alienness right. of the Silurian civilization. I mean, I think, you know, again, going back to, you know, going back to, to, to I think, what was said, uh, you know, when the Silurians originally were developed, that that season, that first season of John Pert, we kind of followed that Quatermass pattern where the aliens come to us, we go to the aliens, or the aliens are already here. 
And those are the three, those are the, that's the kind of tr- the Quatermass triumvirate of kind of alien invasion plots. Right. And, you know, the Silurians is the, the aliens are already here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Silurians, they end up being kind of sort of B-movie monsters like all Doctor Who monsters, but they start out being impressively, impressively other in a way that the kind of relatability of Neve, whatever her name is, in a, you know, in kind of green face paint mm-hmm. kind of misses the point, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think you're on to something with that because by making them almost analogous to human in their form, shape, and facial expressions, they're more like the swampies in Power of Kroll where you just have green aliens rather than... Uh, this I'd, have rather, I'd, I'd rather have species. I'd rather have the swampies, to be honest. Wouldn't that be amazing? It's like <laughs> it's the swampies. <laughs> Kroll. 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, a giant. There could have been a giant underground octopus down there. <laughs> so, um, but uh, but obviously, Moffat liked what he he got because he had Neve McIntosh come back to reprise Silurian role, and they made a very clear indication that she was part of the same gene pool or gene sequence as uh, uh, Madame Vastra was as uh, Reztec and Aelia. Yeah. And, you know, and again, you see, if you make if you make the Silurians too much like humans, i.e. they've got you know, breasts and, you know, they look like humans, basically, but with green makeup on. Well, you, you miss the, the kind of crazy race, you know, racism of the original, um, you know, the kind of uh, eugenic aspect of the originals, mm. you know, um, Doctor and the Silurians, which is the Silurians want to exterminate us because we're different and we evolved from, you know, we evolved from rats, (laughs) from apes, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they feel us to be inferior. And, you know, they really believe they got a point and they sort of have a point in some ways. And you kind of miss all that. Um, I think what also really doesn't work for me, we're just going to say how this doesn't work, but anyway, what doesn't work for me about the Moffat, the Chibnall two-parter, is the attempt to kind of retcon in why we don't see Silurians at all, um, which I think is a, you know, has been a problem for Doctor Who for a while. Certainly, I know the, the Virgin New Adventures, etc., tried to address this, is, well, where are the Silurians um, in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, the whole kind of peace conference or the kind of negotiation thing, which is weirdly reminiscent, well, not reminiscent, but, you know, is I think is repeated again with the, with the Zygons right. in, 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 in um, Day of the Doctor? Uh, that Zygon adventure that they have. Oh, um, so are you thinking the Day of the Doctor negotiation or the... Yes, the, or, the Day of the Doctor negotiation. Or the Zygon, right, or the Zygon inversion, Zygon invasion. It was one of the two. I'm getting them all mixed yep. up because they've all got, like, not very good... And we, we, I'm the, we could do the Zygons as well. We and say how could, but it, I how think less it, how less good the new Zygons <laughs> are than the old ones. <laughs> but we won't go there. We won't go there for now. Or maybe we could if we if we get bored of, of talking about Silurians. But it 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 is the same thing. It's a, it's the same type of redesign. Where and I think this is where RTD did really a strong thing by no the Daleks are the Daleks. The Daleks have to look like the Daleks. And he didn't try to change them very much. Yeah. Even even his Cybermen design, while very stompy and different from the Cybermen design of the classic series, you do still have the handlebars on the helmet. And you, you can see how they are the Cybermen. I think where people 
felt that Cybermen, or the new series Cybermen, felt flat is they didn't like the origin story. Yeah. They didn't like the parallel Earth. And this is, I think, a, a knock against fandom. They wanted this long continuity of, well, these are obviously Mondasian or Telosian Cybermen and whatnot. But I mean, I mean, to be, I mean, to be, to be fair to us fans, I mean, you know, the, the production team had completely trolled us with, you know, Van Stratton's um, museum, which mm. had a, the invasion Cybermen head like in it. It did. But you know, I just, I just kind of see that first series of the return in the 21st century yeah, that's true. as, yeah, right. as a one-off and they were, yeah, no, you're right. they you're right. were not thinking long-term. I think it's much different than like say Chibnall coming in where this, this has been going on now for 13, 14 years. Yeah. And the new series, it's not even new anymore. It's 21st Century yeah. Who has its own traditions and tropes. And they're not simply just uh, mining or gleaning or parroting the classic series. Yeah, no, that's true. But um, this this kind of, I don't know, it's, 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 it's like... It's that whole thing, you know, if you can do something, it doesn't mean that you should do. You know, if you can redesign a monster and if you've got, like, greater latex technology and greater prosthetic skills, Mm -hmm. um, you feel that you can do better. But actually, you know, in some ways, the... if, Again, you, you know, if you're going to design or redesign the monster so extremely as they did with the Silurians, why not have a new monster? Why not come up with something different? Why, why saddle yourself with the baggage? Why, in Chibnall's case, would you want to try to hit every beat that Mac Hulk tried to hit in the Silurians and compress it down from a seven-part story down to you know a two forty fifty minute story, and it just seems really rushed. And then add Moffat's all the Amy's, uh, you know, the crack in the wall arc to mm-hmm. it. It's a very rushed, and a lot of Chibnall's character development bits were left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, they just it just kind of falls flat. You just the characters kind of you know advance their characters and kind of lurches that are completely sort of like and they're, uh, now they're doing what for what reason mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a, it's it is it is kind of a mess and you know okay i mean let's go back to what we're talking you know if we're gonna have you, you're quite right why not just have new monsters or we'll have monsters that you know need reinventing <laughs> so uh, you know let's do inferno again let's have primords i mean if we're digging down to the center of the earth we know what happens mm. you know there is that whatever that green goo is down there right. that turns people into into you know prim- primords Inferno is an amazing story, but its monsters are some of the worst of the <laughs> Pertwee era, in my opinion. In reinvent those, at least uh, some of the most disappointing. Yeah, some of the most disappointing, exactly. You know, reinvent those mm-hmm. because you know they need reinventing. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've also said, you know, if you're going to do for the humanoid lizard lizard species, the draconians are ripe for the taking. Yep. Yep. I mean, why we haven't had the Draconians back, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I, I'd be scared if Chibnall suddenly announced that, you know, this season's returning monster will be the, the Draconians because they would be bound to, you know, reinvent them. And I don't know, they'd bound to suck. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think, yeah. I think if, if he is to be believed that there is no returning monsters, you don't need to have a, this background of Doctor Who history to understand what's going on in the show for series yeah. 11. I think it's a really good decision. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that, how that works out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have said that I think that uh, Whitaker Doctor needs to face the Daleks, but 
you know, thinking over Chibnall's, I think it's a decision. I think it's a bold move, it's a bold move. not to mine the past in that first series. It's something that even RTD didn't do in uh, series one. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it's a very bold move and, you know, good luck to him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, all I, all I kind of hope, all I kind of hope and pray for is that, you know, it's again that we, <sighs> you know again this is me being a fan and me being an old school (laughs) fan but you know that we have some kind of physicality back to monsterdom um you know again i got a little bit kind of tired of the of the 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 moffat like it's 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 something that's in your eye Mm -hmm. it's a crack it's a thing that people find scary is now a monster or it's the it's the hole in the ground in the in the hungry ground (laughs) um you know it's a piece of pavement um that 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 wasn't actually and that was r2d but you know what r2d but yeah you know what i mean um you know let's have some really awesome monsters and one of the great things about doctor who and again i've said this before but i'll say it again because I'm sure that no one's listened to all 86 of these podcasts, so I think <laughs> repeating ourselves is fine. Um, the, when I was a kid, what really made Doctor Who the most exciting show on TV, compared to all the other sci-fi that I consumed religiously, you know, the comparison, main comparison on TV being Star Trek, Doctor Who had monsters. Mm-hmm. Star Trek didn't have monsters. It had people with like <laughs> funny-looking eyebrows or who were painted green, <laughs> doing boring things that always seemed to be about space or something. And when they did have um, a monster, it was like the Gorn, which was a lizard man. <laughs> which was a lizard man. And it was spectacularly unsuccessful. And, you know, if only they just contracted out with the BBC, they could have had Silurians or so, or they could Draconians. Mm, you know, yeah. Captain Kurt meets the Draconians. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a, you know. There's so, a crossover. So that, yeah, exactly. So that's what made Doctor Who awesome for mm. me as a kid is like, there are monsters, and monsters are super cool. Who doesn't want to watch monsters? Hmm. Um, yeah, I nobody doesn't want to watch monsters. I wonder because what they're saying in the confidential, what Moffat and Chibnall were saying is, well, Moffat really wanted he he thinks television audience has moved on definitely from where they were in 1970, and he commissioned Chibnall with the explicit instruction to reinvent the Silurians for the modern age. And I just wonder how much of our reticence to the the whole Madame Vastra, uh, you know, new era Silurians is just due to that we are children of the 1970s, and we, you know, we like what we first saw. Do you th- do you think we have this built-in bias or preference for what we saw as kids? Yes, of course we do, but so does everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any... Nothing special any sh- about that. There's nothing special about that. I mean, everyone is more prejudiced to things that they, that, you know, that, that really touched them as they were kids. However, you know, I think you can approach the reinvented new series Silurians with a critical eye mm-hmm. and you can point out what went wrong. I think, you know, again, if I was less attached to the Silurians of the 70s... I would be more inclined to point out what went right with um, the new series Silurians, which isn't a huge amount, really. I mean, I guess, you know, you can see the two actors who actually are in in it. You can see their expressions, mm-hmm. and that's good if that's what you want to see. Um, my, you know, my kind of counterpoint to that is it makes them less alien and less frightening, mm-hmm. less intimidating. Well, if you look at a, a lizard in like an iguana, do they have much expression? No, they don't. I mean, they're lizards, exactly. You know, they don't really have that many emotions, to be honest, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, that's why, 
you know, uh, we think that Donald Trump is actually a lizard in disguise. <laughs> Um, that's why the aliens from V put on, you know, human masks yeah. because mm-hmm. they were lizards mm-hmm. and and we don't like lizards right. and we're scared of them. Right. And that's where Doctor and the Silurians comes from is we're frightened and we're frightened because these creatures once oppressed us when we were just apes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why the original Silurians story is so effing awesome mm-hmm. because it totally makes a weird kind of crazy sci-fi sense right the 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 new series two-parter which again i keep forgetting what it's what it's actually called hungry earth cold blood hungry earth and cold blood which is those are both awesome awesome titles i'll give them that it sounds like it's going to be amazing mm-hmm. it's too much going on there's cracks there's like rory and amy kind of their doppelgangers or whatever waving from the other side of yeah, the valley for, yeah for a reason that is somehow explained later on that i can't even remember what the explanation mm, is it, it's mainly it's it's there to set up rory disappearing into the crack that Probably. that rory was there at the beginning when he's waving across the valley and then he's not there at the end and that Amy doesn't remember. So there's a lot there's a lot of the arc intruding into this Silurian story and then with Chibnall trying to call back, you know, he calls back the heat shield. The Silurians put this big heat shield over the village and that's from like the daemons and then you yeah, have it's like it's it's not even a silurian thing right. silurians don't have heat shields what they have is like awesome like you know survivors style right. you know destructo bugs and yeah. and just like the whole idea of the drilling like you mentioned earlier that's infernal so it's like chibnall's not only trying to mine <laughs> chibnall's not actually <laughs> <laughs> so Chibnall is not only trying to mine, pun intended, uh, the 1970s, <laughs> he's also just trying to hit like almost like Mark Gatiss pastiche level of hit all note for note the, the, the kind of dramatic moments in the original Doctor Who and the Silurians combining with. Moffat's uh, story arc that he's he's putting in with the with the crack and you know with Rory disappearing and stuff it's it becomes too much packed in and these were long episodes these were fifty minute episodes not the normal forty five so yeah it's sort of like something needed to be less of you needed to have less less ticks from the nineteen seventies you maybe need yeah. to simplify the plot if you're going to focus really on the arc bit uh, it's just it's a mess i think is what we're what i'm thinking it is a mess and and that that giant you know the giant underground silurian city Mm -hmm. again makes so little sense really because again of what we know of the silurians and the sea devils you know they live in what is our essentially well they look a bit like you know bbc tv um uh, film studios but anyway um <laughs> they they live in kind of you know underground laboratories mm-hmm. you know these are shelters they went to shelters yeah they were living on the surface they went underground because the the moon was coming or what was yeah, to become they, the moon exactly and they don't have a they don't have a civilization underground. What they had is a civilization above ground. And what they want is to kill us yeah. so that they can get that civilization right. back again. That's their thing. If they're completely happy with their giant underground cities, like there's some kind of Jules Verne, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, mm-hmm. like underground underground dwelling, the, the coming Bulwer Lytton, coming race kind of people, then they probably would be happy enough staying underground. Yeah, so uh, we had mentioned that this is Chibnall was commissioned by Moffat or approached by Moffat to write this story with some pretty strict guidelines or yeah, what 
whatnot. So I don't think it's fully indicative of what he, uh, Chibnall, would be doing in the series 11 or going forward. I think if you look at, say, dinosaurs on the spaceship, I think it's a little more uh, showing off of what Chibnall can do. Now, granted, the concept, the hook, dinosaurs on the spaceship, was Moffat's idea. Moffat also saddled him with the the two robots. You know, say, hey, Chris, can you work in those robots somewhere? But the yeah. story itself, I think, is much more indicative of like the character developments and stuff that weren't lost in the editing editing room of what Chibnall would bring to the series those kind of character right. beats right 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 mm-hmm. yep I'm with you and I'm with you I think when Chibnall doesn't try to do a pastiche of the past it's more interesting the whole bits with the dinosaur of the triceratops I think is a lot it, it brings something fresh. There's new characters with Nefertiti and Riddell, the big game hunter. Yep. And I think of the two pure Silurian stories, if you can even consider dinosaurs in a spaceship, a Silurian story, it's the, it's the more successful one because the Silurians, the new Silurians are not really there. You, yeah. you they're not part of it. And, you're focusing in on the characters and exploring the ruins of a Silurian culture. Granted, they were all killed off by Solomon, but it's, it's, it's what's the Silurians left behind. And that, I think, would have been a very interesting take if, if a Chibnall and Moffat would have done that with the Hungry Earth in cold blood yeah, and, and with its Silurian ruins. Absolutely. And then you get a great 1970s callback to kind of, you know, Eric von Daniken mm-hmm. and, you know, Chariots of the Gods yes. and... You can totally then start to riff on that kind of nostalgia without just kind of put, having to pull in, you know, heat domes from the demons and, uh, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera, inferno drilling, drilling rigs right. and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as usual, I mean, I think what always challenges me is that if you and I sitting around <laughs> can kind of come up with a better story than was actually broadcast, then obviously then what we're kind of faced with is that when those stories were being, you know, written and developed, there were more things going on than simply coming up with a good story. Right. And there were more things that needed to be done according to the production team than just thinking about doing an awesome story. One of the things that, again, I, I've said before and I'll say again, that always kind of interests me about who stories in general is to look at the hit rate of really awesome and just excellent, excellent storytelling and exciting who stories that Big Finish push out on a regular basis. You know, and they, they don't have a 100% hit rate, but, you know, it's a 70, 80% right. hit rate compared to the hit rate you get on TV. And you, 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 you understand, like, what a compromise television always mm-hmm. is, unfortunately. Um, and that because there's so much else that has to be done, apart from just telling a good story and actors reading out the lines, mm-hmm. that's the challenge, really. So, and uh, I think producer Beth Willis uh, said this in The Hungry Earth, that Chibnall had came up with this great idea of instead of uh, these geothermic platforms that the Silurians traveled through. Instead, there are these kind of armadillo-like dinosaurs that would burst through the Earth, and they couldn't do it because of budget. You know, they wanted to do the big Silurian city underground. They wanted to do the Silurian makeup. So something had to, one of the ideas had to get cut. 
a lot of the character developments, I've said this before, got left on, on the cutting room floor of Hungry Earth, yep. Cold Blood, because the story was running long and Moffat also wanted to get series arc things in. So there's a lot more compromise in the confines, both in budget and time in television than, say, Big Finish would do. You know, Big Finish could say, well, we're going to add a fifth episode to this. We're going to make this a two-part you know, uh, eight episodes. I you know I don't know how big finishes will do it, but there seems to be less constraints. And then, like with the dinosaurs in the spaceship, there's they aren't telling the authors saying, "Hey, look, you need to go work in these two crazy robots that we have already built because we didn't really use them for the other show very much." And that you know that type of thing. Yeah, and they cost money, and you know the BBC accountants want to make sure that we get value. For yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it, just to go back to my kind of plot point, I mean, again, you know, what I think what's frustrating about that giant underground city that the Silurians live in is not only it obviously costs, you know, it costs money to, to put on screen, but it negates, you know, why are the Silurians so pissed off? They're so pissed off is because they have to live in air raid shelters when they used to be rulers of the planet. Right. That's why they're angry. Right. If they had wonderful giant Edgar Rice Burroughs cities to live in, like, where's what's their motivation right. for coming to the surface? They have none. Right. Yeah, it's it's a flat note. I mean, it's really cool to see an underground city, but then, like you said, where does the motivation to go? Why do they want to fight the war to reclaim the, the top? You know, they're a smart species. Why would they want to go to war starting in Wales without doing some kind of... <laughs> South Wales. Yeah, well, without doing any kind of recon and kind of intelligence, realizing the apes now have nuclear weapons, they have a strong military. I mean, they're... <laughs> it just yeah obviously they didn't watch the sea devils that's that's all i'm saying the british navy would have handled them <laughs> exactly yeah everyone knows that her majesty's navy if they see some underground reptiles they're just gonna like drop some depth charges yeah. on them <laughs> um yeah british navy and the british british army of course because some some judiciously placed grenades um from courtesy of the brigadier <laughs> soon put pay to those silurians world dominating ambitions the lizards that they are <laughs> <laughs> so we really only have two Silurian stories, and then, but we also have Madame Vastra and the Paternoster game. We do, and the, the Silurianness of Madame Vastra is touched on mostly, I'd say, cosmetically, in that she early on she wears a veil, and I don't really see her as a, a Silurian more than just the Green Lizard Lady. I'm not sure how you take it. I have a soft spot for Madame Vastra, I'm afraid, because I think it is a it is, it is a good character. I think it's a good use of a, you know something that's incredibly popular with fandom in general, and by fandom I mean you know, people who are fans of things, um, you know, which is the whole steampunk thing, mm-hmm. which I think is done very well by the Paternoster gang. Um, it obviously connects into Moffat's love of Sherlock Holmes, which I think is good. There's a great kind of uh, Wang Chiang feel to the parts of the episodes that she's in, mm-hmm. this kind of Victorianness and this kind of the veiledness that you know, she is, like uh, like Magnus Greel, she is kind of deformed and does have to cover her face in some kind of way um that that works well i think the you know the same sex relationship that's implied between her and jenny i think is also excellent mm-hmm. um now, you know, do, there's one do you think that's a little bit of pandering for the audience the modern audience or do you think that's a I, yeah, good twist? I, I mean i think 
I mean, you know, maybe we could have an episode about this, but I think in general, you and I both agree in that, you know, I think the whole kind of, you know, gay agenda thing that some the more troglodytic elements of fandom like to promote, like to talk about all the time is nonsense. Mm, Um, And I think, you know, uh, why shouldn't like a lizard woman from the dawn of time have a relationship with her maid who is also some kind of who's also a woman is a human woman right. you know i mean I, one could say you know if you really were some kind of nazi you'd probably be more offended by a human woman um having a relationship with a uh with a lizard um rather <laughs> than you know which is kind of a be- you know kind of bestiality i guess in some kind of way rather than a same sex relationship mm. um i don't think it's pandering at all i think it's just like I mean, I think actually what is wrong with it is that they are too overtly sexy. I think there's certainly a pandering to the, you know, ooh, lesbians are really hot element of kind of fandom. Or that could just be television too in general. Everyone well, is more pe- attractive people on, on telev- television. People do tend to be attractive on television. But, you know, I, they're not casting Miriam Margolis um, as Madame Vastra. Sorry, sorry, Miriam. You're an amazing <laughs> actress. But, you know, anyway actor um you know then they're, they're, they're deliberately casting people who are attractive because people who are attractive well, that's what that's what television <laughs> is as you said uh so but you know i, I think i think uh, that works well and i think it's a nice i think there's a nice kind of class element in there um which kind of subverts our you know our expectations of what victorian era was like you know it's very kind of tipping the velvet um yeah i can't remember you know that that mini series right. and the the woman who wrote all those books mm-hmm. um what i don't like about the paternoster gang is you know is the the taking the piss out of the sontarans and i think we've taken we've talked about this before is that the the sontarans are inherently ridiculous but their ridiculousness not comes doesn't necessarily come from their stupidity it comes from their just they're ridiculously militaristic mm-hmm. you know they are Sontarans are ridiculous like the Nazis were ridiculous mm-hmm. um, the Nazis aren't funny um, they're ridiculous right. um, and I think the problem that I have with the you know the Moffat reinterpretation of the, of the, the Sontarans is that is that they're made to be funny mm-hmm. rather than ridiculous uh, yeah but that's that's again not Silurian's fault that that's 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 Sontarans, that's Sontarans. Yeah. but you know just t- uh touching on what you're saying with uh tipping the velvet the, the Victoriana lesbian uh yeah. drama it would have been really interesting if if I, I I don't know if Sarah Waters has done television writing I think she's primarily a novelist but if she would have mm-hmm. written I think something for um that time period I don't know if she would be keen on doing something with faster and jenny but that would have been an interesting would have been amazing. interesting take and perhaps you would have have something you know something a little more sincere if if, if waters herself was writing it yeah and i i i, I think it would have been I, I mean that would have been an amazing opportunity i mean I, you know obviously she's probably got better things <laughs> probably to do yeah to write for doctor <laughs> who <laughs> um not that i would think there's anything better to do than to write than to write for doctor no but, but she's yes, i mean I she's a big yeah, big name writer she'd be i mean a, yeah, yeah equivalent like great. you know like, game in writing yeah, writing yeah. for the show and, and actually you know, i mean i think I, I think you know and again this is something that fandom were desperate to have and they got kind of that kind of denied and, and and i can see i can see why it never happened because i think it would have been very expensive um you know i it would have been great to have had a paternoster gang hmm. tv show hmm. i mean i'd love to have seen them hmm. I'd love to see those characters developed and to, you know, to extend that into a kind of, you know, League of Gentlemen style steampunk Victorian London. I think that would have been terrifically exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it would also have been super expensive. 
so I can see why they, you know, why the why the execs at the BBC passed on it. Uh, do you really think? It, I mean, it, uh, the expensive bits. I mean, BBC does costume drama all the time. That's true, and uh, yeah, okay, that's that, that's true. I mean, they they they, they do do Vic, they do Victorian mm-hmm. London very well. That is true. Right. Yeah. And so the main expense has already been amortized in the uh, you know the latex prosthetic mask for Neve McIntosh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, and and Dan Starkey already has the Santaran costume. So uh, he's, he's he's got it at home in his wardrobe. He dresses <laughs> up at weekends. He's suited and booted and ready to roll. <laughs> ready to be a Santaran. So, yeah. All um, right. So yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I mean, it, and I think I think it would have been good. It would have been very you know penny dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, is that that's that show that's yeah, on? Is that still yeah. running? I don't know. You know, they could have done that. Um, and just had fun with it. But we had five episodes with Madame Bastra and the Paternoster Gang, and. Was there more for them to do beyond the five episodes that intersected with the doctor? I think I think there could have been. I think there could have been okay. crimes to be investigated. Mm-hmm. You know, there could have been Sherlock Holmes to be met. You know, there could have been Jack the Rippers to be confounded. I think that's where you had the problem right there is because if you think of Moffat and Gatiss, who are, you know, the authors of the stories that the Paternoster gang appeared in, what was their other show that they were trying to run at the same time with Sherlock? Sherlock And so I don't think they wanted to do a Sherlock set in the Victorian period. Meanwhile, they were doing Doctor Who and Sherlock set in contemporary time. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure I would have watched the Paternoster gang, but I think it would have been uh, a good Moffat era era spinoff if they weren't already doing Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the irony of Sherlock is that, you know, both of the actors that they picked <laughs> to be in that show then imme- almost immediately became incredibly wealthy and not wealthy, incredibly in demand like Hollywood film stars. Mm-hmm. And the show is never going to happen again because, you know, Martin Freeman and, you know, Cumberbatch right. have got other things to do with their time. Yeah. They've got to be there in their, they're part of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, they're coining and- it, in, coining it in, in Hollywood. Yeah. So, yeah, they're movie stars now. They're no longer doing television now they've hinted that they would come back for sherlock but uh, i i don't see it yeah i don't see it either no i think it's gone now yeah and again you know towards the end it uh, towards the end they only did like four episodes or something didn't they four series yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it was a bit up its own ass mm-hmm. to be honest i don't know I think it started strong, Sherlock, but then it, like many, many of Moffat's stories type devices, it just became, look, I'm being clever and I've boxed myself in a corner. So I have to come up with something really, really, really clever to get myself out of it. And it just becomes hand wavium or it's not really yep. that clever. It's, yep. it's just becomes a, uh, uh, too far fetched or too much of a stretch. It's a, too much of a leap for me as a viewer. Yep, yep. I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 day is done now. But there you go. You know, he's now he's he's now Doctor Strange. He's not he's not he's, yeah. not, he's not Sherlock anymore. Yeah. But on television now, you're watching what a very British. Oh yes. What, what are you let's, watching? Let's, now? let's. I am watching a very British scandal, uh-huh. which is a uh, it's a it's an RTD written show. It's an adaptation of a, a recent book about the Jeremy Thorpe scandal in the mid-1970s in the UK. Of course, everyone who listens to this podcast are, are, are Doctor Who fans, so you'll already know that in the Who-niverse, in the alternative 1970s of Unit, 
um, and the British space program will know that, of course, Jeremy thought was, was actually the Prime Minister of Britain. Um, the Brigadier says is on the phone to Jeremy, <laughs> but it's a it's a dramatized a drama doc, it's a it's a dramatization of the the scandal that kind of brought down Jeremy Thorpe, who was the leader of the British Liberal Party, um, who was gay but closeted, and was being blackmailed by his ex-boyfriend, um, Norman Scott. And he famously um, kind of incompetently got someone to try and kill Norman Scott, um, who just ended up killing Norman Scott's dog instead. Spoiler alert. And it then just kind of kind of just goes Devolved out of control from pretty, there. pretty quickly from there. However, there's a lot of nice little who, who nods in there. Eve Miles has a very Welsh role in it, <laughs> being super more Welsh than she was in... Torchwood. She's, uh, she, if she was any more Welsh, she'd be like an actual dragon or something. Um, as the the first caption that comes up on the screen is uh, is London, 1965, Ooh. which of course I believe has become a a catchphrase for the for the kids yep. currently, all the kids on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, Hugh Grant plays Jeremy Thorpe, and he does an amazing really? job. Wow. Really inhabits okay. the role. Um, believable and you, oh absolutely believable mm-hmm. as jeremy thorpe and you you understand actually one of the characters says oh we don't why do we do all these things for jeremy and they say well because we love him <laughs> and he's just he's just you know this incredibly charismatic politician who was you know again before the scandal brought him down you know could very well have become prime minister mm-hmm. um in the 1970s and it's 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 a great kind of slice of you know Again, if you're Who fans and you're listening to our podcast, it's 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 entirely possible you might have some Anglophilia in your nature. So if you want to kind of wallow in Britain in the 1960s and 70s, this is the show for you. And there's Who stuff in it as well. And if you aren't Who fans listening to our podcast, welcome. Um, but welcome. please drop us a line and explain why the hell what, you're listening to hell, us. What the, hell are you, what the hell did you last spend the, the last hour of your life <laughs> listening to people talk about something about which you know very about which you know even less than we do? Um, <laughs> it would be kind of fun, actually. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I, mean, I don't have enough time, but you know, to like listen to a bunch of podcasts that you have no interest in. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's it's like, a mess. You know, I guess like you just go to iTunes and browse. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it would be analogous to like you know a, a podcast about like the Minnesota Vikings or something, of which I'm sure there are many. Um, <laughs> yeah, sports I'm, sports ball podcasts probably aren't my my reason for tuning in. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I'm not a big fan of of, of any of the iterations of sports ball. I'm afraid. <laughs> Um, and and also again something that caught my satirical eye this week uh, was we've got a new Blu-ray box set coming out season 19 season 19 what do you think of that one are you are you tempted yet to get the Blu-ray player well okay this is weird all right everyone knows how much I adore Tom Baker's first season because it is pretty much the best that there was I am weirdly more excited to imagine myself buying a season 19 box set than I am to buying the season hmm. season twelve box set, and that's because I think I've seen the season twelve episodes so often that I'm maybe slightly jaded or something, or maybe there's nothing new that they can tell me. I think that's more of it, and the cast, the the main lead cast, 
aside from Anthony Ainley, still is surviving for Series 19. And, I mean, to, 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 to watch the trailer, um, they seem to be having a blast on the sofa. I mean, they're laughing like trains. Oh, did you see the, the uh, Jovanka Airline trailer? Yeah, yeah. the Jovanka yeah, Airlines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's hilarious. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Season 19. Please pay attention while I review the features of this brand new Blu-ray box set. Excellent. Um, so I, I, I'm actually kind of more. That's. I mean, I'll, I, I'm probably going to wait until the third one comes out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I famously don't have a Blu-ray player, yeah. so um, that's going to be a challenge because I really don't want to have a Blu-ray player. Uh, <laughs> but I guess I may have to get one. Well, there, there are options yeah. you can have there. You can, you can get a. Well, you can get something for the computer and then translate it. If it, so, that yeah. so this is what the, I'm still working on my plans. And the season twelve Blu-ray disc replacement has kind of been a fiasco because oh really? Oh, the, tell because us. Tell us more. Uh, the disc two they were able to fix the inverted sound issue on part two of the Santaran experiment, but they sent out exactly lock, stock, and barrel identical ser- uh, disc five of Revenge of the Cybermen with uh, M- Michael Weasher uh, <laughs> miscredited and just the errors in there. I haven't received my replacements yet. I'm hoping that they're going to fix it. So right. I think what will be interesting is once they get these things settled down and the production quality improved, whether or not the limited edition packaging, which is the thick box with the Lee binding and cover art, is, is going to be uh, common or if they're going to slip to those slim Blu-ray sleeves like they did in the North American distribution. Right. So, I mean, that's that's where your decision point is going to be. And right. with their quality issues, I just wonder if it makes sense to wait until they have the pressing correct. Because it's sold out in the UK right now. And like in the resale market, if you wanted season 12 in region B, the UK region now, it's like 100, 200 pounds, which is You're phenomenally me. crazy. Gosh, I, should, I should have bought one and then I could just Pocket, resell yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Well, it might be oh, the well. same with season nineteen. I don't know. Maybe. Well, maybe. Maybe I'll pick it up. Make a yeah. Make a killing. Yeah. yeah I'll be like. I'll be like the Paul Manafort of of Blu-ray <laughs> box sets of Doctor what, Who. Winding up behind bars. <laughs> winding up behind bars with my with my with my ostrich skin waistcoat or whatever the hell Jeez. that fool spent his money on. Uh, mm. Well, it definitely wasn't on Doctor Who Blu-rays or DVDs. And if he if he had, he probably would have kept himself out of trouble. I would just sidebar here just for a second. What is always amazes me about those kind of high-level fraudulent individuals is just the pathetic crap that they spend their money mm-hmm. on. It's like golf, <laughs> suits... Big houses. And like going to Vegas. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if I had fraudulently managed to smuggle like millions and millions of dollars in the United States, would like not pay tax on it. Yeah, I'd be I'd be rolling around in Doctor Who DVD or Doctor Who Blu-ray discs. Doctor Who I, props. Know, I'd, have, <laughs> I'd, I'd have more than one Vok head, you know. It's a like, whole Bach army. Oh, <laughs> I don't, yeah. The level of ambition of these people. Well, that's that was that was a very successful hour's worth of chit chat. Yeah. I think. And um, we'd, we'd even we'd even get to the 1980s. Well, that's interesting. Do we consider the 1980s bad Silurians? We'll have to uh, we'll have to pick that up next time, I guess. I think we'll pick that up next week. <laughs> the you know. cliffhanger. <laughs> it's cl- oh, is that bad? Is that bad Silurian or is that good Silurian? Yeah, well. Tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs>
Okay, all, all right. right. Are we, are we done? I think so. <laughs> well, thank you for listening right. to episode 86 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been, as always, talking with Ben. And as usual, I have been chit-chatting with David. And have a good one. Good night, everybody.